Luke chapter 7, we're going to spend our time in verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned toward the woman. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. May God bless this reading of his word. Let me pray once more and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to this passage, you would open our eyes and our hearts uh, to see more of who you are and understand that, that you would, um, that you would lift our, fa- our, our minds and our hearts to you and that you'd build us up by your word as you promise. Amen. Well, our passage this evening is one of my favorite passages in the Bible and it's striking because it's such a, an amazing display of love. I don't know what your first thoughts were um, as you read the woman's actions in this passage. As she soaks Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. As she breaks that expensive bottle of perfume over them and smothers his feet with kisses. What did you think as you read that? What were your first thoughts? Maybe someone thought, wow, that is, that is an amazing display of love. Maybe some of you thought, wow, wow that's a bit much. I'm kissing feet, that's okay, that's all right for her. That sounds like a bit much. I wonder if anyone thought, I love Jesus like that. Maybe not the kissing feet thing, but the, the motivation, that, but, um, but the expression of love. That I sh- maybe you thought, I share her passionate love for Jesus. Well, I hope that some of you might. I suspect that um, most of us either look at that woman and think, I don't love Jesus like that. Or I want to love Jesus like that. So the question for all of us is, how can we grow in our love for Jesus? Wherever we're on at on this spectrum of love, how can we grow 
in love for Jesus? It's a question we all need to consider. Maybe you're just looking into the claims of Christianity, whether you're listening online or here in person, and you're thinking, well, why should I love Jesus that way? Or maybe you feel on the fringe, you're still kind of on the fence, and you wouldn't say you love him, but nor would you say you hate him. Or maybe you're a new Christian, and you just feel the love of Jesus bubbling up inside you, and you, you know exactly how this woman feels. Or maybe you feel like in your Christian walk, you've plateaued. You've been a Christian for many years, but you just feel like your love for him is, is just steady. Uh, or maybe you feel even that it's growing cold. And you're thinking, how can I grow to love God more? Wherever we are on that spectrum of love, the question for all of us is, how can I grow to love Jesus more? And to answer that, I want to ask one simple question of the passage. Why didn't the Pharisee kiss Jesus' feet? Why was it the woman? Why not the Pharisee? Why didn't the Pharisee kiss Jesus' feet? You see, there are three main characters in this narrative, Jesus, the woman, and the Pharisee. And the whole tension comes from the contrast, the comparing contrast between how the Pharisee and how the woman respond to Jesus. So let's dive in. Why didn't the Pharisee kiss Jesus' feet? First of all, the Pharisee didn't understand who Jesus was. The question of who is Jesus dominates the first nine chapters of Luke's gospel. Um, It's a section that has been described as the Savior's CV. If you were to read through the first few chapters, you'd see again and again this question of who is Jesus coming up. In the birth narrative, it's who is this baby as Jesus first starts teaching. It's who has this authority to teach this way. Who is this man? Who is who is this man who can do these things, who can say these things? You'll notice that's the question that's actually asked at the end of this passage in verse 49. And we read that those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Maybe you've asked yourself a similar question. Who is Jesus? Can I be sure of who Jesus is? And it's a question Luke, our author, wants us to be asking. Whether we're Christians or not this evening, at the start of his gospel, uh, Luke begins by saying that he's writing these things so that we can have certainty of the things that we've been taught. So we all need certainty. If you're not following Jesus this evening, then you want certainty. Because if you're going to give your life to someone, well, you want to be pretty sure about who he is. And for us, those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, well, To grow in following Jesus and to grow in love for him, that's naturally going to flow from having more confidence in who he is. So who is Jesus is central to that. And we see that that's the question that's even leading up to this passage. Um, Earlier on in um, chapter 7, John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus because he really wants to be certain. Is Jesus really the promised king that God has sent And now the Pharisee wants to be sure of the same thing. So he invites Jesus for dinner. He's heard about Jesus, but he wants to see for himself, be sure for himself, who is Jesus. You can see that at the start, the Pharisee has, in some ways, a pretty good view of Jesus. He views him as a prophet. We see that in verse 39. But as the narrative goes on, we see the Pharisee's opinion of Jesus plummets. We're told that, um, so twice in, in verses 37 and 39, the Pharisee views, um, the, the Pharisee, we read that this woman comes in who's called, uh, the Pharisee labels as a sinner. 
And um, we don't know exactly why she was labeled that. That probably she was notorious in some way. Uh, maybe she was a prostitute or something else that made her notorious. Well, the Pharisee figures, he sees Jesus' interaction with her and he figures, well, he can't be a prophet because he would know who this woman really is. He would know who's touching his feet and his opinion of Jesus plummets. And then when he addresses, you can see how far it goes down because when he gets to speaking to Jesus in verse 40, he says, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he responds, say it, teacher. Already it's gone from prophet to teacher. The trajectory isn't looking promising, is it? Simon thinks like many people today, maybe you, Jesus, he thinks, well, Jesus is just, maybe he's, maybe he's a prophet, maybe he's just a good teacher. Someone who's got some good things to say about God. However, really, it's, it's no wonder then that he doesn't kiss Jesus' feet. If he just thinks that Jesus is a teacher, no wonder he doesn't see him as to see the need, to see him as worthy of kissing his feet. Contrast that to the woman before we even um, get to her actions. Just think about the fact that she turns up at this dinner party. She's a notorious sinner. She's the kind of person that people would sadly start whispering about um, as soon as she came into the room or into an event. Put yourself in her shoes as she walks down the street. Maybe the heads that turn, the crude jokes that are, are shouted in, in her direction. The, the mothers turning their children away from her path. People maybe spitting in her direction. But she carries on walking. Right through to the, one of the biggest houses in town where this important religious man lives. And she just knock, doesn't even knock. She just opens the door and goes in. Straight in. I wonder if a hush fell on the room as she walked in. I wonder if the Pharisee thought, oh, I'm going to throw this lady out. Maybe he would have. Maybe he would have if Jesus wasn't there. But as it is, he wants to see what, how will Jesus relate to this woman. I think that's summarized pretty um, perfectly in verse 48. When Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Why did this woman go so boldly to Jesus? Why did she break down in tears and kiss his feet? Well, because she believed that he was more than just a teacher. She knew that he had to be more than just a teacher. He was the one who could forgive her sins. When Jesus says, your faith has saved you, that's what he means. This woman had faith that this man, this person, Jesus was the one who could deal with her biggest problem. Jesus was the one who could forgive sins. And by forgiving sins, Jesus is making a pretty bold claim. Only God had the authority, has the authority to forgive sins. So Jesus is making himself equal with God, if not saying he's God himself, by claiming to forgive sins. The Pharisee has no such high opinions of Jesus. He didn't kiss Jesus' feet because he thought he was a prophet at best, a teacher, and probably worse by the end he thought like many people do maybe like you today that jesus is just another guy a good teacher at best maybe a person who's influenced history but he's certainly not god and can i just say as long as we have as long as you have a small opinion of jesus then you're never going to love him you'll certainly never love him like this woman did you might respect Jesus, you might admire his teaching, 
but you'll not love him. It's even possible, though, for Christians to drift into this lovelessness as well. Um, in the letter to the seven churches, the Apostle John, uh, Jesus, speaking through the Apostle John, says to the church in Ephesus that despite all their hard work for the gospel, despite their suffering for the gospel, and despite battling false teaching, they've lost their first love. They've forgotten their first love. It's possible to be an individual, to be a church that does a lot of stuff for Jesus, but lacks love for Jesus. It was the woman, not the Pharisee, who kissed Jesus' feet because this woman realized she understood who Jesus was, that he was the one who could forgive sins. He was the forgiver of sins. That's the first reason. Second, the Pharisee didn't kiss Jesus' feet because he didn't understand his own need for forgiveness. Jesus being the forgiver of sins is going to mean nothing if you don't think that you need your sins forgiven. And that's the lesson that Jesus draws out in this parable of the, um, the two debtors. Uh, let me read again from verse 41 to refresh our minds. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, I've worked out that in today's money, adjusting for inflation, we've got a situation where one person owes 70,000 and the other person owes about 7,000 pounds. Now, just imagine you're the person who owes 70,000. Maybe you've defaulted on your payments uh, three months in a row. You're unemployed, so you know that the money can't, it's not going to magically appear. You've got no one you can borrow it from to pay this debt. And you go in, you get a, a letter, you get an appointment, you go in to see the money lender. Can you imagine just the sinking feeling in your shoes? You know you won't be able to pay. And your mind is filled with dread. You're thinking, well, the car is going to fetch this amount of money, but it's not going to be enough. And you're imagining your wife's face as, or your husband's face as the bailiffs walk in. And they're picking up, picking up the, the sofa, the kitchen appliances, everything else in the house, carting it off to be sold as the for sale sign is hammered into the front garden. As everything goes. And there's that big list of numbers in front of you and they don't mean much to you, but you see the big number at the end, 70,000, and you know you're done for. And the guy pulls out a red pen. And then he starts crossing them off. From the top of the list, each line, down, 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 till he gets to 70,000 and he strikes it through and writes, paid in full. I imagine at that point you might kiss the moneylender's feet. Imagine at that point you might be filled with that kind of gratitude. That's how the woman felt. She didn't need a reputation to know that she was a sinner. She knew her own heart. She knew her past better than everyone else. She knew every line on her record, every scar, every hurt. And so to have her sins forgiven meant the world to her. She felt her sins as a crushing load, and so she felt the weight coming off her shoulders. As Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. On the other hand, the Pharisee thinks he's like the person who only owes 50 denarii or 7,000. The person who owes 7,000, and well, he's grateful uh, when the debtor cancels his debts. I'm sure they'll be happy, but I'm not sure you'd go and kiss the person's feet. Maybe he'd give them a box of chocolates, some flowers, a card, 
some kind of voucher for a restaurant as a thank you. But he's not going to kiss their feet. The Pharisee doesn't think he needs to be forgiven much, if at all. He calls, do you notice, he calls the woman a sinner, not himself. He doesn't think he needs to be forgiven much, and so he doesn't think he needs Jesus much. Let me ask you, when you look at your own life, when you look at your own heart, do you see the sin in your life? Do you recognize that you have a mountain of debt that is stacked against your name by nature? We all find ourselves somewhere on the spectrum of seeing, seeing our sin this evening. On one hand, you might be acutely aware of the sin in your life. And you feel your need for Jesus. On the other hand, you might be sitting here and thinking, I'm not so bad after all. You might even be questioning, do I? What's, is there really a thing, sin? You know, is that really a thing or is that just made up by the Bible? Forgiveness from God has no value unless we first recognize our sin. On the other hand, the more you recognize your sin, the more you'll feel, see your need for forgiveness and the more your love for Jesus will grow when you see that he is canceled every debt. You might say that love for Jesus is the fruit of forgiveness. The more we recognize how much we've been forgiven, that springs, that, that sprouts into life in a love for Jesus. That's the point in verse 47. Jesus says, I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And just in case you're confused by the little four there in, um, in verse 47, Jesus isn't saying that this woman is forgiven because of her love. Rather, he's using that word for, not as a because word, but as, a, as an evidence word. The evidence of, being, of her being forgiven much is that she loves much. She, she overflows in love as she realizes how she's been forgiven. Love for Jesus, love for Jesus is the fruit of forgiveness. You realize how much great forgiveness produces great love. That's the point, really, of this parable. The woman loved Jesus much because she recognized she'd been forgiven much. And the more we love, the more we see our sin, I'll say it again, the more we see our sin, the more we recognize our forgiveness, the more we'll grow in love for Jesus. As one person puts it, the soil of repentance produces the fruit of love. Maybe up to now, you've only respected Jesus as a good teacher. Now can I ask, do you want to love Jesus? Do you want that to change well, can I ask you, can I encourage you to take an honest look at your heart, pray and ask God to help you see your sin, to see you as you truly are, and then look to Jesus for forgiveness. And I can promise you, love will follow. When we see what Jesus has done, our love for him will grow. Or maybe as a believer here, you want to grow in love for Jesus. Well, again, ask God to help you to see your sin more clearly. Ask God to help you see how much he has transformed your life um, since you trusted in Jesus. I think sometimes, maybe when we first give our life to Christ, there's, you know, it's almost like a heavy demolition work goes on as God exposes all the big areas in our life where our desires are incompatible with, um, with what God says. And he, he, he transforms our lives in that kind of knocking down walls in that big ways. And we realize... And, um, how much we've been forgiven and um, we, we filled with a big love for God at that point. Well, as God continues to do that renovation work in our life, sometimes we can forget um, all that has gone before. We can just, maybe, maybe we don't see 
Maybe as God has dealt with some of the big, obvious sins, as it were, um, we forget how much we need Jesus. And we can maybe feel like it's a bit more like filling in potholes and putting a bit of plaster on the wall. We forget from how far we've come. We need to make sure we never see any sinners as respectable, any sinners small. Uh, it's easy and um, uh, churches can easily have um, sins that are just deemed as respectable and uh, it's not a big deal. Things like, things like anger or pride or laziness or grumbling or last lack of self-control. It's when we see those things, not as small sins, but as sins that are against the holy God, that we can be woken up a bit more. And remember just how much work there still is to go in our life. Just how much Jesus has done in our hearts. Matthew Henry says there's no such thing as a small sin. Because there's no such thing as a small God to sin against. When our view of sin is small. The forgiveness Jesus offers becomes less valuable. As one writer says we reduce Jesus to a band-aid saviour. You can, you can tell the writer's American. Um, we reduce Jesus to a, what, a sticking plaster saviour. Maybe it doesn't sound the same. Just to illustrate that, though, imagine you're walking on the beach with a friend and you cut your, your bare foot, because it's nice, it's on the beach, but you cut your toe. Maybe it's a bit of glass, something else that is on the beach. Well, if your friend pulls out a plaster and gives it to you, well, you'll be grateful because maybe your toe was bleeding a bit. If you're walking along that beach, though, and you suddenly get pulled out by a riptide, maybe you're paddling, and you're close to drowning, and your friend swims out, pulls you back in, revives you with CPR, well, I think you're going to feel a bit more grateful to what, for what your friend has done. I think your gratitude in your heart would overflow into an even greater love. Many of us can slip into having a band-aid view of Jesus. We might not See our sin as a big problem in the present. You might have never seen your sin as a big problem. Maybe you have at one point repented and trusted in Jesus. And God has wonderfully helped you to fight sin. But the result is that day to day you don't see yourself as a great sinner. It's very easy sometimes even like the Pharisee to minimize our sin problem by comparing ourselves to others. We think well I'm, I'm not doing that. I am doing this. I'm... Not like that person, I'm, I'm faithful to my spouse, I'm not getting drunk all the time, I don't know, you name it. I'm not that person shouting at their kids in that way. We all have ways in which we big ourselves up and, yeah, and, well, make ourselves, try to make ourselves good and make ourselves think, I, I'm actually a pretty decent person. That's not to minimize, we should celebrate the work that God does in our lives. I should never minimize that. But we always need to recognize um, the sin that still exists in our heart, and not be quick to compare ourselves to others. There are no band-aid sins. We need to recognize that. We need to ask God to help us to search our hearts, and each one of us see our need for Jesus. There are no band-aid sins. We all need Jesus. It's very easy also to grow cold in our love for Jesus. One of the surest ways to grow cold in our love if our whole aim in this passage is to grow in love for Jesus, one of the sure ways to grow cold in our love is to lose sight of our sin. We often, you could also say then, one of the surest ways to grow in our love is to have a greater view of sin. We often pray, don't we? End our prayers by saying, Lord, and forgive us our sins. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to go deeper than that. That's why the Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. 
That's not about setting up a confession box and, and starting to um, pair off and to um, confess our sins in that way. But part of the way that we, that we keep seeing our need for Jesus is by being accountable with one another. Is by having close relationships with other believers so that we can encourage and challenge each other and constantly point one another to our need for Jesus. To our need for not a band-aid saviour, but a life-giving saviour. Love is the fruit of forgiveness. The more we understand how much we've been forgiven, the more we'll grow in love for Jesus. Well, we've talked a lot about this woman's love for Jesus. However, as we draw to a close, I want us to notice Jesus's love for this woman. I just love how, much, how Jesus treats this woman, don't you? He doesn't know, he knows more than just this woman's reputation. He knows her heart. He knows better than her. He knows better than anyone else who's judging her, who she is and what she has done. He knows all of her thoughts. He knows, he knows absolutely everything. Jesus has every reason you could say to push her away, to recoil. But he doesn't. He doesn't send the woman away either and tell her to sort out her life and then come back to him when she's brushed up a bit. He accepts her devotion and he forgives her. Not only that, he commends her and he holds her up as an example. I mean, just think of it. Think of the scene in a room full of self-righteous religious men. He holds up this woman and says, here is an example of faith. Here is an example of what we should all be like in coming to Christ for us to be forgiven. And then he sends her away in peace. This woman was overcome with grateful love. However, I don't think she even understood half of what Jesus had done for her. You see, forgiveness doesn't come free. Jesus didn't just cancel that debt. Jesus could only cancel that debt because the debt had to be paid. You know, that's this whole illustration, the moneylender helps to bring that home. Someone else has to, put, has to carry that debt. There's always a cost. If your debt's to be forgiven, someone else must pay. And the woman was forgiven, but she didn't pay the cost. It would be paid though. Jesus could only forgive that woman because he allowed that cost to be put on him. He allowed that whole debt, all the things that she had done to be placed on his shoulders. So that as, as he died on the cross, he took the punishment for her sin. He bore her pain. He bore all of what she deserved. Every single one, every single sin on that record. He could wipe it off because it was wiped onto him. Past, present and future. I love that it ends. Faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How could Jesus say that? Because he had bought her peace. She could have peace with the God of the universe because Jesus had paid the price. Jesus had, had mended the relationship because there's now nothing standing between her and God because Jesus had paid it all. Because when God saw her, he saw her with the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus had paid the debt with his blood. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he already had one eye on the cross where he would accomplish that forgiveness, where he would seal the deal. Love is the fruit of forgiveness. And that forgiveness cost a lot, but Jesus knew it was worth it. Jesus chose to go to the cross 
knowing that woman's sin. He chose to forgive her, knowing what it would take to to fulfill that promise. And so whether you are here this evening, whether you want to love Jesus for the first time or you want to grow in your love for him, the key is simple. We need to grieve and gaze. We need to grieve our sin. We need to recognize our hearts. We need to repent, but not despair. We need to grieve and gaze. Have our eyes lifted up to Jesus, the one who willingly went to the cross to take the punishment, to bear the debt for all of our sin. Who loves you like he loved that woman. You Maybe you don't even love yourself this evening. Well, Jesus loves you. That's why he went to the cross for you. To take your sin. He gave your life so that you can be forgiven if you trust in him. Praise God for his forgiveness in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, maybe we don't see ourselves as uh, like this woman, but Lord, we know that each one of us is, is in the same position, that by nature our debts are stacked up. We thank you, though, that Jesus forgives our sin. We thank you for those here who know that wonderful blessing of sins forgiven. Please remind them of all that you have done so that their hearts are filled with great love for you. And Lord, we pray for any who don't know the beauty and the weight off their shoulders of sins forgiven. We pray that this evening or in the days to come, uh, they would come to Jesus like this woman did and ask for their sins to be forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.